Hypnosis is good for what ails you. This is session number 31 of Medical Hypnosis with Seth Deborah Roth, part two. Welcome to the Work Smart Hypnosis podcast with Jason Lynette, your professional resource for hypnosis training and outstanding business success. Here's your host, Jason Lynette. Hey, as you last joined us, I did part one with Seth Deborah Roth all about medical hypnosis and talking about IBS and all the fascinating research that's out there supporting the use of hypnosis to help clients that are going through that specific syndrome. Uh, I want to reference once again, just to bump up their registrations, because I think this is going to be a great event. Uh, There's a specific protocol that is referenced within this program, and I think the enhancements, the adjustments that have been made to it are just phenomenal and going to be really beneficial to the hypnotist, the hypnotherapist, the consulting hypnotist, whatever it is you choose to call yourself out there. Uh, And specifically here too, I think this will be of interest to the stage hypnosis as well, to look at the science behind this process, what we now understand within the brain and how things are shifting and how it's redefining hypnosis as we move forward. Just a bunch of really great information you can make use of. So the webinar that's coming up, again, we've made that just a redirect page, work smarthypnosis.com forward slash IBS. Head over to the show notes for this session and you're going to see the link there too. I'll also put a link to uh, Seth Deborah Roth's uh, great book, Medical Hypnotherapy, An Essential Guide. She's actually got that for a really nice uh, deal on her website over there, hypnotherapyforhealth.com. Let's jump right in, part two with Seth Deborah Roth. So we've been spending some time talking about IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, uh, which I have to tell the anecdote of I used to be very active in network marketing like uh, Chamber of Commerce or BNI, and oddly enough, this would be the one category that I can get up and talk about that on one side of things would get the biggest laugh perhaps from the group unintentionally, uh, but at the same time would bring me the most number of referrals that day. Um, it's kind of a sort of a hidden thing that's actually quite prominent out there. Uh, do you know the figures about how many people, what the percentages are about how many people actually are going through IBS? Yeah, I think it's 15 or 20 percent, one in five women. Um, you know, the interesting thing is that it's common, not as common in men, but it is definitely um life-changing for men. I've had, oh, one fellow I remember, he couldn't, and, and the diarrhea, I guess, in my experience, seems to be more common with men. Hmm. Uh, there was one fellow, he couldn't get out of his home. He had to, he had a sales job that was conducted from his home because of his, his diarrhea IBS. Um, this other fellow that my that I'm thinking of my most current guy, he again his dating is um, really negatively influenced. Well, not anymore. He's getting better, but it was neg- negatively influenced by his diarrhea, and he couldn't go anywhere. He he, you know, he couldn't go on a boat ride. Um, all these uh, life-altering things that go on with people. It's um, not talked about. I remember one gal, this is, oh, this is a way, way back in the in 1980s. I mean, everyone looked at her. She was beautiful. She was blonde and 
just, you know, very thin and a model. It turns out she had diarrhea IBS mm. that nobody knew about. So um, it's, it's way more common than we know. Um, yeah, I can recall there's a client I worked with a while ago that also, it was a man, and the issue was, and his would kind of ebb and flow in terms of different symptoms of it. Sometimes it would be the constipation, sometimes it would be the diarrhea side of things. And the experience of that ruled his life, that he was not making any plans, he would not take vacations, everything was filtered through the perception of... Uh, there, there were some other side fears, which specifically, I mean, we've started at first on the fear side of things, that the initial uh-huh. phone call wasn't necessarily let's address these symptoms. It was one of those calls where he goes, I don't know if you've done this before, but his he, he wouldn't go into a restroom that was like most public restrooms that are several stalls one after the other. It had to be its own separate private room for him. So that was the initial fear, the 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 apprehension that brought him in, yet as we got some change in process with that, then it became he was doing some side research on his own. We sent a thing over to the doctor, got it faxed back, and then began working specifically on the symptoms as well. That I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this. For him, it was almost entirely fueled. Now, action preceded the thought, of course, at first, but it was as soon as I put something in my mouth, I know what reaction I'm going to have to it. Was that phrase? Oh, yeah. Was that phrase that was writing the entire process? And for him, as soon as keeping everything almost really on a surface level, as soon as we started to change that expectation, that was changing his body's response too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. That pre. Well, you know, the thoughts are so connected to the bowels. You know, it's, it's like so. What comes first, the chicken or the egg? Right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they. I also find that most clients for this issue will come to you for its effect that it's having on their life. They've dealt with it for years, and it's finally, I can't, I can't tolerate what's going on in my life anymore. I can't date. I can't work. Um, I can't plan. And, you know, as I don't understand why the gastroenterologists, the GI doctors, why they don't just send immediately connect their patients to a hypnotherapist. And maybe we just need to get the word out there of what we do. Maybe maybe they don't know that there are hypnotherapists, you know, out there who aren't psychologists, so to speak. Um, but I don't even think they send it to psychologists. And yet all the literature that's out there, I mean, if you go and you Google um, the International Foundation for Functional Gastrointestinal Disorders, it has a, you know, within that, the treatment section, there's a psychological section, and it talks about hypnosis. So why aren't we getting all the clients we could ever want. It is so prominent out there, IBS. We should we should be, you know, turning away clients, you know. Um, but I, I don't get it. I don't understand it. It's maybe that the medical field is so into giving drugs. Um, it's and and my argument here is it's not that the doctors get money from drugs. Most, you know, my husband's a physician. Most 
doctors I know do not get money from the drug companies. You know, maybe every once in a while in the old days we would get a dinner, uh, you know, <laughs> not enough that you would, you would, you know, change the way you practice medicine in order to get a dinner. Well, there's right? so many, there's so many layers within the ethics now that I can even recall a time that I had some coffee mugs printed with my logo of the business here. And I sent one to a doctor who uh, had sent me a number of referrals. And he, he called me up. It was an interesting phone call because it was basically along the lines of, I want you to know I really appreciate this, but I cannot keep it. Because there can't be any sort of connection that it looks like I'm receiving something as a referral, which he's laughing at. And he goes, when I know you probably paid eight bucks for a couple of dozen of these mugs. So thank you. Um, I don't want to throw it out. Do you want to come get it? And it's yeah. just it's that awareness that there's not as much of that, quote, kickback um, that I'm hearing even from doctors that are – I've got two chiropractors as a client right now. I've got a, two, a couple of physicians as clients right now as two. As two. And it, it's a different connotation that I think that most people very wrongly put to it. I'd point back to a moment. We did uh, – we made use of the hypnobirthing protocol for the birth of my son, Max, and I recently then started speaking at their convention, too. It's a great event, and I can refer to a time where a friend of ours – asked her doctor about doing natural childbirth. And she has a younger doctor who's out of, uh, out of his education recently who, who looks at her and says, I don't know how to assist you with that. I need to refer you to someone else. So I, I say that not as a overgeneralization, but in many ways I think, and hear the word positively, it's a situation of ignorance. They don't know the service that we can provide, and really it's our responsibility to understand the ins and outs of how we can help these people and just it's the phrase I keep using the more we're all successful the more we're all successful to get out there and do good work and spread this awareness that's what it takes to really spread this awareness yeah I agree and you know as you're talking I'm thinking oh we should be talking at the GI conferences you know just having a, a hypnotist and go hmm, I should I should contact them about it but you know one of the things that the hypnotists out there um, need to be aware of is they must never give a medical recommendation because it will take away any progress that we make. So even suggesting to a client what foods to incorporate or not incorporate is crossing the boundaries and um, gives us all a bad name or telling people, to, well, stop taking this medication oh, or lower absolutely. the dosage, you know. So, um, but yeah, you know, we should be, as I'm talking to you, I'm going, we should really be talking <laughs> at these <laughs> conferences, letting them know that there are, quote-unquote, lay hypnotists out there who, who, this is what we do 100% of the time. There's nothing wrong with talk therapy. Right and and psychologists who use hypnosis, but this is what we do a hundred percent of the time, you know. So you know they can go to their psychologist for discussing the issues and so forth, you know. But when you're working with you know okay a seven session protocol, you know and and let's let's the other thing that I I include also in this training that I'm going to be giving is the flow sheet because in the medical world we use what's called a flow sheet, where you have a person uh, put down the, the days of the week and the symptoms that they're having and the times, um, noticing is it, you know, well, liquidy or firm, that kind of stuff. But also, 
you know, were there um, certain emotional things going on that day that, you know, perhaps that they're not aware of, where when they look at it a week later, they go, oh, I didn't even realize this. And the other thing that you want them to do is to um, put down the strength of their, you know, on that scale of 1 to 10 of their symptoms, you know, if it's pain or bloating, whatever it is, so that they can see, oh, wait a minute, I came here seven weeks ago and I was at an 8. Now I'm at a 4 or a 5 a lot of the time. Oh, I'm making progress, Right. Same thing that you're using in your regular uh, pain protocol is having people keep track of it so that they can see that, okay, I'm getting better. Because the tendency is to, well, I still have this. Mm -hmm. And sometimes the symptoms don't go away. Sometimes they do. But if you could get them going from an 8 to, let's say, a 3 or 4, they can live their life. It also gets the foot in the door in terms of change that rather than focusing on everything that still needs to be addressed and everything that still needs adjustment, it shifts the focus to, oh, wait, this one thing is doing better. And you've probably had the same experience. Let's say it's even working with a client who comes in outside of these medical hypnosis categories that, you know, some of the behavior changes that we'd work with. And the person who uh -huh. would perhaps come in with a bit of a laundry list of, I need to lose weight, I'd like to quit smoking, I'm afraid of flying, and they just list off a number of things. And my phrasing is this, that there's a medical diagnosis of something being generalized, uh, whether it's generalized anxiety or generalized anything of that nature. And my phrase is, we can generalize the hell out of a good thing, too, that here I am, and this might not be the best immediate business strategy, but I think it's the better one long term, where here's the one that's coming in to quit smoking, and that's done, that's taken care of, and we're starting to focus on their health. And almost as a throwaway, I can ask, hey, what about the nail biting you asked me about before? And it, it's amazing the number of people who would say, oh, yeah, that kind of took care of itself. I'm not doing that anymore. Just just to get the right. foot in the door of the change that they're not in a stuck state as they were before. Yeah, yeah. And that's why, you know, um, when I first see people first, you know, the first session, I, I discuss that neuroplasticity. You know, and um, it kind of opens the door that, okay, change is, can happen, right? And again, we're going to increase their belief system on um, that there's, I like to, to explain a lot of the physical things that happen in hypnosis, you know, you know like the MRIs from Stanford and, you know, other things, because it kind of takes away the woo, you know, the woo stuff or like, <laughs> yeah. You know, it makes it more real. Oh, oh, okay, so there's going to really be some change. Yes, there is going to really be some change. Excellent. Tell you what, well, we've got a couple of minutes before we wrap up here. Kind of walk us through, let's say it's a client's first session, and let's maybe go specific here since we're talking about medical hypnosis and uh, addressing IBS specifically with that uh, webinar you've got coming up. Again, let me mention the, the day and time on that. Um, Thursday, February 5th, 5 p.m. Pacific time. There's going to be replays of that, right? Or would yeah. that just be? Oh, okay. Yeah. okay, so yeah. great. So even if you can't attend at the... 5 p.m. Pacific, 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, I go through the same thing with mine where people go, I'm over here, that's one in the morning. And the answer is register and get replaced. <laughs> um, head over to <laughs> worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash IBS. That'll take you to that registration page. Again, it's going to be a, a free one-hour event. Um, client comes into your office. 
what's kind of the overriding goal of that experience for you? What What's the experience you want them to take away with the process, specifically with you? Now, are we talking with IBS? Let's, or, yeah, let's, I'm, let's, I'm, let's stick with anything. Yeah, let's stick within the medical hypnosis category. If there was kind okay. of an overriding theme, if there was an overriding message or even sensation you want them leaving that process with, what would that be for you? For me, it would be that I want them to know that there is change. I want them to know that every cell in your body is changing every day. Your skin, every three days, your stomach lining every seven, your bones every year and a half to two years. So every single cell in your body is changing. Your thought that there is now medical information out there that thought strengths will even affect the telomeres of your body, how long you live. Um, I, I want them to know that change is possible and there's biological reasons for it and that our thoughts talk to our body through um, the different neurotransmitters and chemicals. It is the body's language and some things are conscious and some things are unconscious and that the brain does not know the difference between reality and imagination. Your conscious mind knows the difference, but not your brain. And so we can do many, uh, we can talk to the subconscious mind, that is what hypnosis does, this is our playing field, and with that we can make changes in our life, um, emotionally, in our, our body, um, in our responses. Did that make any sense? No, no that's, perfect. that's perfect. That's perfect. And I'd, I'd be curious to ask, how much of that sort of educational component do you do, let's say, and again, it's all hypnosis. The moment they walk in the door, there's a process of suggestion in place. But how much right. of that would you say you do in more of the, quote, intake, interview, pre-talk portion of your process? And how much of that would you make use of actually during your process, too? Ah, well, my first session with people is two hours. I call it a super session. <laughs> And I tell them, you know, there's, there's, um, I need to the intake from you. I need to um, educate, you know, find out what's going on, find out about your life. I need to educate you about, um, I talk about the power of words, and we go through no more tries, no more hopes, no the negative, and, and I go through, you know, the physical, you know, the studies at Stanford, uh, neuroplasticity. Um, I go through... Um, What's happening as, the, uh, as you're forming new neural pathways and the myelin sheath. And so I really educate them about the physical things that happen in hypnosis. Uh, the corpus callosum, the, you know, it gets super saturated so the brain literally is more open to suggestion than when you are not in hypnosis. So, so once they understand that that brain is actually opened up, and wants the suggestions, it really increases that belief system. And I say, and obviously you're here, so you want it to work, right? A little <laughs> hypnosis, right? <laughs> and um, and then the hypnosis process itself, you know. So um, it comes to a two-hour session, and also teaching them stress, um, anxiety reliefs, uh, different things to do, EFT, um, the toss, the bilateral stimulation. 
uh, that Melissa Tears has taught, which is ab- absolutely wonderful. Oh, great, but Melissa. I also give them the information of where she got that from. There's a psychiatrist in L.A. who deals with OCD. He had OCD, and what he found out is when people did this bilateral stimulation, that after, you know, for 5 to 15 minutes a day when they were having OCD symptoms, that down the road like a month later and they took another MRI, that the MR, their brain actually changed. And so when people hear this, they understand, okay, I need to, I need to do this, I need to practice it, I need to make it happen. I need to be part of this change that is going to happen to me. Um, so, you know, so like I was saying, my session is a two-hour session. Well, I'd reference um, everything you just mentioned as kind of into the category of if I have a client who comes in, and even if they say it in a positive way, I, I feel the need to supplement it slightly, which is the, well, I really believe in this stuff. And it's that update of information to say, you look at all the research that we have, we look at all the understandings that we now have, which that's still growing. You head back uh-huh. to a previous uh, recording um, that I did with uh, Greg Poljasic, who's a neuroscience uh, student and actually works in the lab at University of Chicago. And it's interesting to hear him make the slight adjustment to say that they're still doing hypnosis. Uh, research now suggests that if we keep our language in that manner, we're allowing for improvement, we're allowing for change, as opposed to this is exactly what this is right now and this is all it will ever be. Well, research now suggests this, research now suggests that. But that statement of a client saying, I believe in this stuff, or even a person on the phone, I don't believe in this stuff, I'd respond to that to say that that perhaps is a conversation about 30 or 40 years out of date with all the research that we have, with all the knowledge that we have. I I think we're comfortably outside of that belief category now. I agree. I absolutely agree. Now, Now it's about having people accept that, right? I mean, science is proving it, but now the average Joe out there, the average average person needs to know about this stuff, right? Um, It's just fascinating because they are doing so much brain work. My daughter's in uh, college in psychology, and she's um, taking a class with, his name is Kogel, um, and they're one of the newer people having to deal with autism and and they are discussing all these this research and even he says but this is just we don't know what is in the future i mean there's so much brain mm-hmm. research going on it is a newly developing field within itself you know well, so um this has been yeah. great that that webinar coming up again thursday february 5th 5 p.m pacific 8 p.m eastern you can find all the details and sign up for it at worksmarthypnosis.com forward slash ibs and i'll put a link to that in the show notes too um i'll put a reference to your book there as well but uh, this has been great thanks so much you're so welcome thanks for inviting me thanks for listening to the work smart hypnosis podcast at worksmarthypnosis.com Hey, it's Jason Lynette here just with one last thing. Uh, I'd ask you this question. If your goal is to grow a hypnosis business... 
Well, how's business going? If things are really not quite yet going the way you'd like them to go and the way they admittedly should be going, I've got a great resource for you. I put together something I call the 10-Day Hypnosis Business Challenge. It's 10 days of emails, 10 days of videos, 10 days of specific action steps that you can fold into your business to really start to revitalize and get better results. That's something that I offer to you absolutely free. Really easy to find, too. Just go over to worksmarthypnosis.com, scroll all the way down to the very bottom of the page, and there's a little space to share your email address and get that free resource. Again, it's the 10-Day Hypnosis Business Challenge, 10 days of videos, 10 days of specific action steps to revitalize your business. I look forward to hearing of your success very soon.